call it, pulls the disciples aside and he's doing some teaching specifically for, for them, okay? The, the believers, those that were choosing to follow him. And his words were really challenging to those disciples. They were challenging for us because it makes us reflect on how we communicate on Jesus' behalf, both as a church corporately and also as individuals. And we learn that our words and our actions tell the world a story about who Jesus is. And we need to regularly ask ourselves if that story that we're telling is representative of who the person of Jesus is. If we're going to make Jesus known, if we're going to know him and make him known, which is the goal of this study as a reminder, if we're going to make Jesus known, well, first we need to know him, but we also need to keep in mind that it's the utmost important that we do so in the power of the Holy Spirit as we abide. This morning, Dwayne in his testimony was talking about the, the good things that he's doing in this community. And, and that work, as Ben was explaining to him, is God working through him. As we abide, as we're walking in obedience to what God's called us to do in our lives, that work that comes out of us is not out of our own goodness, but it's out of the goodness of God. And it shares with the world how good God really is so that we can sing songs like we just did about God's goodness because we've experienced it firsthand through his people. We ended last week with the understanding that it's only by abiding that we can be the people and the church that God wants us to be. It's only through abiding that we can be, quote unquote, good fruit, like we talked about last week. And as Kerry pointed out at the end of the message, which I love that he did this, it's that when we're pressed by the struggles in life, he, he was talking about this illustration that somebody was giving, that if you're holding an orange and you squeeze it really hard, what's coming out of that orange is orange juice. It'll never be anything else because that's what's inside of an orange. And as we are going through life and we are pressed in on every side and it feels like we're being squeezed, whatever's on the inside is what's going to be coming out of us as well. And so we'll, the way we make sure that that is goodness is by abiding with the Father. This is a strong challenge for the disciples as Jesus teaching it. It's a strong challenge for us as the church. Today we're going to be, begin this new section where Luke is returning back to telling stories about things that Jesus did. And keep in mind that Luke did not write this book in chronological order, right? He's writing this book to this guy named Theopolis. He's putting together these, these stories about Jesus in a way that will help people who are like him, people who are not Jewish, to understand the person of Jesus, to tie together some things that if you didn't grow up in that Jewish tradition may not be obvious. So this morning, we're going to kind of see a, a tip of the hat, so to speak. Right, y'all know what I'm talking about, where, where you're kind of pointing back to something. And Luke this morning is kind of pointing back to something we looked at uh, about a month ago in Luke chapter 4, verse 43. And it says, but he said to them, it's necessary for me to proclaim the good news about the kingdom of God to people in other towns also because I was sent for this purpose. Luke doesn't clearly define what he means by the kingdom of God. But in these next two stories that we're going to cover this week and that Carrie will preach on next week... Luke is going to show us what this kingdom of God looks like in real time. If you'll remember, uh, Luke's a Gentile. And in this story, we're going to see Jesus do something amazing for someone that's not of the Jewish faith. This is the beginning of Jesus revealing that he didn't come just for the Israelite nation. That he came for all people and that this gospel is for all people. So let's read the story together and we're going to notice first one's kind of a transitional verse. This is Luke letting us know, hey, we're moving into a new section here. And the focus is going to move from the Sermon on the Plain to this story about a Roman centurion. So if you would, read along with me. Um, Luke chapter 7, we're going to read verses 1 through 10. If you've got your Bible, open it up. If not, it'll be on the screen. You can follow along. 
said, when he concluded saying all this to the people who were listening, he entered Capernaum. A centurion's servant, who was highly valued by him, was sick and about to die. And when the centurion heard about Jesus, he sent some Jewish elders to him, requesting him to come and to save the life of his servant. And when they reached Jesus, they pleaded with him earnestly, saying, He is worthy for you to grant this, because he loves our nation, and he has built us a synagogue. Jesus went with them, and when he was not far from the house, the centurion sent his friends to tell him, Lord, don't trouble yourself, since I am not worthy to have you come under my roof. This is why I didn't even consider myself worthy to come to you, but say the word, and my servant will be healed. For I too am a man placed under authority, having soldiers under my command. I say to this one, go, and he goes, and to another, come, and he comes to my servant. Do this, and he does it. Jesus heard this and was amazed at him. And turning to the crowd following him, he said, I tell you, I have not found so great a faith even in Israel. And when those who had been sent returned to the house, they found the servant in good health. Man, what a story, right? This, this, is, this is no accident that Luke follows up Jesus' teaching the disciples with this story. This was very, very intentional. As we just read, there's a person requesting help from Jesus. And this person was a, a Roman centurion, okay? And I want us to get our minds back in time a little bit. We've talked about this before. And as a matter of fact, there was a tip of the hat in the kids' story this morning. If you'll remember, Israel had been under three different occupations at this time. They had been under the occupation of the Babylonians, where the Babylonians went in, they conquered Israel, and they moved everybody out to Babylon. And that's where the story of Daniel takes place. Babylon is then conquered by Persia. Persia takes over. They allow the Israelites to go back in, but they are still under Persian control. And then this little small nation called Rome, have y'all heard of them before? Rome comes in and conquers Persia, and now they're in control. And so there's been generation after generation after generation, a people group that was subdued by other people groups. Okay, And so in their minds, for Jewish people, any occupier is not good. And I think we would agree with that, right? We're Americans. We like our freedom. That's, we, we talk about that, right? In this moment, Jesus does something that is totally out of, out of the ordinary, something that is unexpected, okay? So not only is, is this man not Israelite, he's Roman. He's from an oppressing nation. They took over. They put him in leadership. Matter of fact, if you remember, when the Romans took over, they didn't even put a Jewish person, a Hebrew person in charge. They put this guy named Herod the Great, who was not. And that really made the Israelite nation mad because now they got this papal king, Herod. But then next to him, they also have these Romans that are, are situated all around them. So they got this Roman leadership and they're enforcing these heavy taxes. It's a bad scenario, okay? So not only was this man not a Hebrew, he's a member of the nation and an officer in the army that's oppressing this group of people. But regardless of who he was, this man heard about Jesus and the things that he could do for people. So he sends some of the local elders to ask Jesus to come and heal his servant. By the way, these elders are not Pharisees or Sadducees or scribes. These are our elders in a community, the older people, the wise men of this community, okay? And look at what Luke says in, in verses 2 through 3 again. He says, A centurion's servant, who was highly valued by him, was sick and about to die. And when the centurion heard about this, he sent some Jewish elders to him, requesting Jesus to come and save the life of his servant. Point number one today I want us to see is that people from all walks of life will call on and be heard by Jesus. Luke goes out of his way 
to make sure that we understand who it is that Jesus is helping. He wants us to see this person's job, their heritage, their upbringing, or their culture will not prevent them from calling on Jesus. That Jesus is the Savior for all people. Because of who this man worked for, what his job was, there would have been a plenty, plenty of reasons for these elders to deny this request, but they don't. Because it says in verse 4 through 5, when they reached Jesus, these Hebrew elders pleaded with him earnestly saying, he is worthy for you to grant this because he loves our nation and has built us a synagogue, which was their place of worship. So even though this man is an officer in the occupying army, he was good to the people that he had been placed in control over. It's pretty impressive if you think about it, that these men spoke so well of this Roman officer. So they go and they ask Jesus to come and heal this man's servant. And Jesus surprises all of them because he agrees. In verse 6 and 7 it says, Jesus went to them. And when he was not far from the house, the centurion sent his friends to tell him, Lord, don't trouble yourself since I'm not worried to have you come under my roof. This is why I didn't even consider myself worthy to come to you. But say the word and my servant will be healed. This whole interaction is so interesting. This man knows because of what he's heard, the testimony, the stories about God activity that we've been sharing with this morning. This man knows because of testimony that Jesus can help his servant, right? So he asked others to go and ask Jesus if he will come. I I don't know if, if, if you've ever thought of it in this way, but I bet you did this a lot, especially as a kid. I did it a ton. I always wanted to spend, I had a, my cousin and my best friend growing up was Eddie. And I was at Eddie's house or Eddie was at my house constantly. But I figured out pretty early on if I asked my parents if I could spend the night at Eddie's, there was a good chance it was going to be a no. But if I asked Eddie to ask my parents if I could go, it was pretty much guaranteed they would say yes. Because it's harder to say no to somebody else's kid, right? That's exactly what is happening in this story is this man knows that Jesus can help. But he knows because of who he is and the things that he's done, he makes the assumption about himself that I am not worthy of Jesus coming and healing my servant. So he sends somebody who would be worthy to go and ask on his behalf. So the elders ask Jesus, and Jesus agrees, and they go to the man's house. But as they're arriving... The man sees them coming, and he sends someone out to meet them. This shows how much the Roman officer understood his position in their culture, right? He knew that if Jesus entered his house, that he would become ceremonially unclean. He would, not, he would have to go through the cleansing process before he could go back into the synagogue, before he could go and worship. So the officer did something that was surprising to even Jesus, okay? He asked Jesus to just say the word, and he knew, he believed that if Jesus would just command it, if Jesus would just speak it, it would happen. And something amazingly significant just happened, and I'm afraid if we blow past this too fast, we're going to miss it, okay? Jesus just, he just strutted, right? He like moonwalked, I can't do it, but if I could, I would. He just moonwalked across a boundary that no one knew could be crossed. This is a big, big moment. Jesus just just broke some cultural barriers. It wasn't even on anybody's radar that this would be something that would happen. 
Jesus just worked outside of the nation of Israel. Nobody saw this becoming because they believed that the Messiah was coming to save the Israelite nation, to save the Hebrew people from their oppressors. In their minds, Jesus is this big, strong dude with muscles like a Rambo-looking guy with a big sword, white horse. He's going to come in and conquer the Romans, and finally the nation of Israel will be free. But that's not who Jesus was. That's not why he came. That's not the kind of freedom he was going to bring. So Jesus didn't set boundaries around one group of people. He just showed in, in this moment that the gospel is for all people, not just one group of people. I want you to take a minute and think of a person that you know that you would imagine would be impossible for God to reach. Just take a moment, think about a person in your life that you know that you think, man, it's, there's no way that person would ever believe in God. And whoever that person is, whatever they've done or been through, doesn't limit God's ability to work in their life. This Roman centurion was so far off their radar, they never would have imagined that God could have done something in his life, could have revealed himself in this way. But Jesus doesn't limit who can call on him. In church, we shouldn't either. And I know that you are thinking, but Will, we want to be inclusive. We don't want to limit people, okay? But we often limit what God can do and will do based on our assumptions about other people. God is not limited by our assumptions, but our assumptions limit what we can see God do in other people's lives. You see what I'm saying? God's not limited by our assumptions, but our assumptions limit what we can see God doing in other people's lives. If we think someone's unreachable, then we're not paying attention to what God might be doing in their life. And if we're not paying attention, we're definitely going to miss it. You can't see what you're not looking for. As I've, I've talked with David and Julie and Maggie and the, the work that God's got them doing in a community that no other church is doing work in, I get so excited because they're reaching a group of people that other people aren't trying to reach, right? They're sharing the truth of the gospel. And that's so encouraging. Luke shows in this part of the passage that these men have taken the time to get to know this Roman centurion. They've made it their goal to know him. And in, as a result of that, they know that he's worthy and they are interceding on behalf of someone that they know and respect. They had invested enough time in this man to know that what he said was true and, and their hearts were motivated to do this on his behalf. Point number two today is that we are the ones interceding and making introductions. At two different times in this story, people are speaking to Jesus on behalf of this Roman centurion. Two times, two different groups of people are speaking on behalf of this Roman centurion to Jesus to try to get this thing to happen. This is often how relationships between Jesus and unbelievers begin. Is someone who knows Jesus introduces Jesus to someone who doesn't know Jesus. God can work outside of that, that paradigm, but that's the way he's designed it to work. That's the way he would like for it to work. And church, this is often how relationships in our lives also work. There's a good chance that your significant other was introduced to you by someone else that both of you knew mutually. 
Or I, uh, another example is I got a friend of mine, y'all know him probably, uh, named Ben Nugent-Peterson, who's the, the organizer for Sin Law Interfaith. I cannot tell you how many times Ben will call me and say, well, I just met this person. Man, y'all are going to have so much in common. You need to get together and hang out. Y'all are going to really hit it off. And every time, I almost said the D word, dang, sorry. Every time, he's right. I meet with this person, we talk, we have lunch, we have a cup of coffee, whatever it is, and we immediately hit it off. And the reason that that works is because Ben knows that person, and Ben knows me, and he goes, hey, the two of y'all have a lot of things that are in common here. This is what's happening in this story. These elders know the Roman. The Roman has heard of Jesus, and he asks the elders to go out to find Jesus and to make this request. So the elders make the initial contact, which facilitates God being able to work in this man's life. Church, we get to do this, we get the opportunity to do this regularly, to make introductions, to make an initial contact, which can facilitate someone else getting to know Jesus by experience. We also have the opportunity to, to do this in all areas of our lives. I, I mentioned recently, I've been reading a book by uh, KB called Dangerous Jesus. And this week, I was really challenged by something that he said. And it made me ask the question that I'm about to pass on to you. This is on one of your life group questions this week too. Is how often do you find yourself interceding for people who don't know Jesus? How often do you find yourself interceding for people who don't know Jesus? This week I was reading a, a sermon by Charles Spurgeon preparing for this message. I want you to listen to what he says intercession reveals about the person that's doing the interceding this will be up on the screen Charles Spurgeon says when the heart is enlarged in believing supplication for others all doubts about personal acceptance of God may cease who who prompts us to love has certainly given us that love and what better proof of his favor do we desire it is a great advance upon anxiety for our own salvation when we have risen out of the narrowness of dread about ourselves into the broader region of care for a brother's soul. Let me break that down in some language a little easier for us to understand. I cannot tell you how many times I talk to people who profess to be believers who are still unsure of their own salvation, who live in a culture that it's works-based, in a culture that says if you don't do X, Y, Z, you are not good enough for Jesus. This Roman is living in that kind of culture. If you don't perform, you're not accepted. Our culture views our relationship with God the same way, and that is not the gospel. And what that does for us is when we're looking at our own performance and we're saying, I don't measure up, therefore Jesus must not love me, all we can ever focus on is our own fragility, our own issues in our own lives. And Charles Spurgeon is saying, when we get to the point where we're interceding from someone else, what that reveals about us is that we're no longer focused on ourselves. Look what he goes on to say. He says, moreover, it shows an enlarged heart, a participation in the spirit of love and a growing likeness to Christ. Earnest longings for the good of, of those around us show that we are beginning to take our right position towards our fellow man and are no longer living as if we were ourselves the sole end and aim of our own existence. Intercessory prayer is an act of communion with Christ. For Jesus pleads for the sons of men, it is a part of his priestly office to make intercession of his people. Church, if we want to abide in Christ, part of that is interceding on behalf of others. 
to think of, to pray for those people who we think are unreachable, and to not rest until Jesus has had an opportunity to reveal Himself in their lives. Christ intercedes for us. He does not give up. And when we join Him in interceding for others and we don't give up, it proves the abiding relationship that Jesus wants us to have. It is that good fruit that we talked about last week. Interceding and introducing people to Jesus is the mark of a growing and healthy relationship with Jesus. I want us to look back at part of last week's passage where Jesus illustrates this kind of religion, a relationship. Luke chapter 6, verse 47 and 48, it'll be on the screen. I will show you what someone is like who comes to me, hears my words and acts on them. He is like a man building a house who dug deep and laid the foundation on the rock. And when the flood came and the river crashed against that house, it could not shake it because it was well built. We are that good fruit when we intercede for others. We are building a solid foundation when we have moved far enough in our relationship with Jesus that our focus is not ourselves and it has been put on someone else. Because of the intercession of these three elders in this story that Luke is telling us, the way is being made for Jesus to reveal His kingdom. I want you to think about this. If these elders had not interceded on the Roman centurion's past, it would have prevented Jesus from revealing the, the goal of his kingdom was not for one group of people. That's the hinge point of this passage. The hinge point is these men walking in obedience to what God had called them to do. To, to plead on the centurion's behalf. Point number three for today is God responds to faith with his exclusive activity. Look at verses seven and eight with me again. Said, that is why I didn't even consider myself worthy to come to you, but say the word, and my servant will be healed. For I too am a man placed under authority, having soldiers under my command. I say to this one, go, and if he goes, and to another come, and he comes, and my servant do this, and he does it. This man who has never personally met Jesus has either heard or seen his work, and he responds with awe inspiring face. Listen, I, I don't want to. I don't want to throw shade, but I want us to ask ourselves, do we exhibit this kind of faith in our lives? To be able to say, just, just Jesus, just say the word and I know it will be done. Do we do that? Do y'all see how big a deal this is? This man just did something that the disciples have not even done yet. Jesus has been teaching those that are closest to him and he's having to go over basics of what it means to be in a relationship with him. And here's this guy who's not Jewish, who didn't grow up in the Jewish culture, who knows nothing of, of God other than what he's heard about Jesus. And he steps out with more faith than those that are following him. Look, look, look just look at what Jesus says in verse 9. So Jesus heard this and was amazed at him. And he turns around the crowd that's following and said, I have not seen faith like this in all of Israel. Can we agree that if we do something that amazes Jesus, that has been a significant moment? Yes, amen. If we do something that amazes Jesus, we need to hang our hat up and sit down in the easy chair for the day because we have done it, Right? It's a big deal. Church, I have spent two-thirds of my life proclaiming to a believer, and I can count on one, how many times, one hand how many times I've had enough faith or had faith like this guy did. 
I've been a believer for 30 years. And I'm not going to lie, that's, that's shameful, in my opinion, of myself. So what is faith? What is it this man did? Faith is, is trust and it's reliance upon God. Look at Proverbs chapter 3, verses 5 through 6. It says, Trust in the Lord with all your heart and do not rely on your own understanding. In all your ways, know Him and He will make your path straight. In all your ways, know Him. Don't, don't trust in your own understanding. Church, our faith gets messed up so many times because we look at a situation and we think to ourselves, that is impossible. Yeah, it's impossible for us, but it ain't impossible for God. God spoke this place into being. He said the Word and the earth was created. This is where our faith comes from. And here's the thing. If we abide in Christ, if our goal in the morning when we get up is to be connected to the Father, to be the branch that's connected to the vine so that good fruit can be produced through us, if that is our goal, as we are going through the little things, our faith is built up. We don't, we don't begin with a massive faith. We start with a little faith. Jesus said if we have faith the size of a mustard seed, we can say to that mountain, move and it will move. I've seen some big mountains, right? I'm sure you have too. That's a big deal. Let's think about Abram, who later became Abraham, Genesis 15, 6. It says, and Abraham believed the Lord, and the Lord counted him as righteous because of his faith. Why did Abraham, or why did Abram choose to believe God? You remember his story? He and his wife are, are old, well beyond the age of having children, and God comes to Abram with an angel and says, you're going to have so many descendants that they outnumber the stars in the sky. And Abram says, how can that be? Because my wife is so old. He didn't even mention himself. We'll talk about that later. <laughs> but Abram chooses to believe. So how did he believe? He chose to. He made a conscious decision that I'm going to trust the thing that God just said. Church, when we rely on God, starting with the small things, and God builds our faith as we trust in Him more and more. God starts with the small stuff. When we choose to step out in obedience, to trust Him and say, okay, God, I know that it sounds crazy that you want me to plant a church in my home in a town full of churches, but I'm going to be obedient. I'm going to do the thing that you said to do. When we start, and I know that's not a small thing, not making light of that, it's a big thing. But David was able to get to that place, David and Julie, because they trusted God in the small things. And God says, okay, you trust me in the small thing, I'm going to put a little bigger thing out there. Okay, trust me in this. And he builds our faith, and he builds our faith, and he builds our faith. And what happens when we trust God in that way? Look at verse 10. It said, when those who had been sent returned to the house, they found the servant in good health. When they left, she was on her deathbed. When they came back, she's good. Church, God does what he says he will do. God does what he says he will do. I want to ask you the question today, what is it in your life that requires more faith? What is that thing that God's been speaking that you're struggling to trust with? How do you even begin when the odds seem so stacked against you? Mickey shared testimony this morning of going in to take a test that she's prepared for for years. 
and all of her world is kind of crushing down on her when she's in the middle of trying to take a test. And what do you do in those moments? You choose to trust God. That's what she testified to this morning. How did Abram begin? He made a choice. He chose to believe God based on God's character and not on his own ability. I want you to think about this morning. Who do you need to pray for that's going to require more faith than you have right now? Who are the people in your lives that you think are unreachable? Understand and believe today, right now, that God is more than able to bring that person to know him. Whatever your circumstance is in life that seems insurmountable, that seems like you cannot overcome it, God is more than able to do that thing in your life. Luke shares this story at this point in the gospel to show the power and the breadth of Jesus' ministry. He's kicking the door open and saying, look guys, this person Jesus is way more than you expected. He shows that there's nothing that God cannot do and that no one is excluded in that. God can and is willing to work in anyone's life regardless of what they have done or what they currently are doing. Romans 6, while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. His love is not conditional on our activity. But when we walk in obedience to Him, when we choose to be faithful, we can expect to see God's activity in our lives. All that's required is that we ask God to be a part of the thing that we're struggling with, listen to His voice, do what He says, and then step back and watch what He does through us. Let's pray. Jesus, I'm so thankful for this story. I'm so thankful for the reminder that you are capable of doing anything that you want to do and that you want us to be in the middle of that. Father, as we meditate on this passage this week, as we talk about it in our life groups, as we, as we mull, mull it over in our minds, Lord, I ask that you would reveal more and more truth out of this story. God, that you would help us to understand that it only takes a small amount of faith, a small decision to just step out in faith and trust you. Father, just that small amount of faith opens up everything for us. Father, I ask that as we're thinking about the impossible things in our lives, the things that we think we cannot accomplish or the people that we think are unreachable, Father, I ask that you would give us a huge amount of peace right now this morning, Father. That you would begin to work in our lives and in these people's lives in a way that we never expected. Father, that you would help us to step out in faith and cross cultural boundaries, to cross boundaries that we don't even know exist, that things that aren't even on our radar yet. Father, that you would, you would move in a way that is obvious to us and to the watching world that you are the one in control. Jesus, we love you so much. And we ask these things for your sake, for your glory, and in your name. Amen.